Hello and welcome to the EduChat podcast, hosted by myself, James Brown. This podcast is brought to you by Discovery Schools Academy Trust and Partners to provide listeners insightful, honest and interesting reflections on educational themes in primary schools. During each podcast, we will explore through conversation some of the great practice and stories from the sector, as well as focusing on some of the challenges and issues faced by us today. We hope you enjoy our podcast and welcome your, welcome your reviews. We also encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and you can find us at Discovery Trust on Twitter. On today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the apprenticeship levy and myth-busting around some of the challenges and misconceptions of what that means for schools. Uh, and I'm delighted to welcome Charles DeLomo from Train Together. Hi, Charles. Hi, James. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. And thanks for joining us today. Um, no I really look forward to getting into this conversation. Brilliant. Okay, Charles, thank you for coming today. Um, Pleasure. I really appreciate uh, your time. Um, so, the apprenticeship levy uh, became big news two, three years ago. Um, can you tell us a little bit of background from the policy perspective of the policy? Wh- where did this come from? What do we need to know? Okay. So, apprenticeship's actually been around since, well, really came back around since 2010. Um, that's because that came on the back of other vocational training, which the quality wasn't really there and the government really just wanted more quality. They wanted to say, if you're going to be going to learning, you want to get something out of it. You don't just want to get a qualification, you don't want to just tick the box. You want to see teaching and learning, you want to see somebody improve, go from A to B, go on a journey. So that's where apprenticeships have been around. And they've been around in a a range of fields. Obviously, we know them from plumbing and mechanical engineering for years. But since 2010, 2011, they've been around in schools, of course, they've been around in other types of businesses. Um, and actually, more recently, with the newer apprenticeship levy and the trailblazers, which some of these words people might have picked up on, there's actually now, I think, 400 brand new apprenticeships that have been come onto the marketplace. I think the overall objective is for about 1,000 in total. Wow. So we're, you know, 40% of the way there at the moment. Sure. So tell us more about the levy. What, sure. what, what's the levy? Who pays the levy? How do people access it? Um, what does that mean for schools? Yeah, sure. So apprenticeships, um, about a year ago, well, a couple of years ago, actually became protected status, which means now apprenticeships have, a, you can't just say you're on an apprenticeship, it has to be a government-approved apprenticeship. Okay. So as I was saying about 2010, 2011, they were called frameworks. I'm going into a bit of you know, over-detail here, maybe. but No, tell uh, us, because these are words we'll probably read. Okay. So it's important that we know. So apprenticeship frameworks were a uh, main qualification, and it had another load of satellite qualifications, and together they formed a framework okay. of qualifications. That's English, maths, ICT qualifications, and maybe there were a couple of main qualifications, and, and that was a framework. And then we had this trailblazer process, um, and that started off in 2016. Okay. And that's because the government felt that uh, apprenticeships wanted to be even more rigorous. They wanted to have even more quality. Um, so they went back to the uh, employers, went back to the uh, sectors and said, right, if you could have anything you wanted, get rid of the qualification and you want somebody to go through a learning journey and what do you want them to come out with? And so employers, schools, um, uh, even you know, in accounting, there's new apprenticeships all the way up to master's level. They went out to the sectors, awarding organisations said, right, build it. And that process was called Trailblazer. Okay. At the same time, there was a kind of financial change, and that's called the levy. That's what we know as the levy. Okay. So apprenticeships are kind of, if you imagine, broken down into the training element and the financial element. Okay. So I'll stick with the training element first, go back to there. So now that we've got these brand new trailblazers that have come into place, and they go through an organisation called the Institute for Apprenticeships, and there's a bit of dialogue. Some are taking quite a while to come to the marketplace. 
And over a period of time, they develop this new apprenticeship, which everybody agrees, and that becomes live, and off we go and deliver that new apprenticeship. And eventually, the old apprenticeship, which maybe it's replacing, goes by the wayside. Then we've also got the training, the, the funding sign. Um, and what's happened is back in May 2017, the beginning of May, um, from that point, if you were a large employer, and what they mean by large in this case is a payroll of more than three million pounds per annum, okay. half a percent of your payroll is going to be taken as an additional tax by the HMRC, and that's then put into a pot for you, your own apprenticeship levy pot, and you can only spend that money on apprenticeships. Okay, so it's ring fence funding. Ring fence funding. funding. That's for large. For other smaller employers, so maybe you're an independent school, yeah. standalone Small primary school. Absolutely. Um, you can still access apprenticeships, but you have to go through what we say the non-levy route. You don't have a levy pot. So you have to go often to a further education college or a, a large provider that's historically had a large pot of funding and they will allocate you funding. And sometimes that's, um, you might still have to pay 10% in. So they'll pay 90, you pay 10. Sometimes, depending on the sector you're in, they'll pay the whole amount. So apprenticeships aren't limited to anybody, but if you are a large employer or you're part of the local authority, which of course are are in indefinitely large employers, um, you really, you know, you've got a pot of money there. Okay. And so, and you were saying it's five? Did you say well, half a percent? Half a percent over three million. Okay. Yeah. So, so that in would... that case, you're fifteen thousand pounds if exactly. you're a three million pound company. Exactly. So for a large secondary school, for example, they'd be paying the apprenticeship levy most likely. They would. I mean, um, local authorities, obviously. Absolutely. I mean, looking locally, um, uh, Leicester City Council, I think, has a contributes a, a levy of one point six million. Okay. Per annum. Yeah. I think there's about 11,000 employees. Yeah. Um, somebody else out there could probably do the maths for yeah, me. It's, far it's, more it's, than it's a, exactly, it's around about <laughs> that figure. So your 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 yeah, your local authority are probably going to be generating one to two million okay. pounds per annum. Okay, so uh, I'm I'm sure that's really useful, really informa mm. good information to know. And thank you for uh, explaining it so with so much clarity. So it, it, in my head, an apprenticeship is as you described earlier. It's a, I'm going to be a, a a plumber or an electrician, and it's sure. a trade straight from school. So I'm less the city council or any other organisation that's paid into the apprenticeship levy. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that is funding they can use just to recruit new apprentices, or how can that money be used? I mean, the thing is, though, especially with budgets being tight, local authorities, school budgets, we all know that, and actually in the vast majority of a lot of sectors out there, if you wanted just to invest in brand new apprentices, the simple fact is that that funding is only there for their training. Yeah. Now imagine their wage bill on top of that. Yeah. I think the vast majority of local authorities, multi-academy trust, employers out there aren't simply using their apprenticeship levy just to recruit new apprentices. I imagine nowadays it would be a strong mix. Sure. And uh, when you talk about mix, now you're beginning to describe that this levy can be used on developing existing staff. Exactly. Right, okay. So that's a big, that almost feels like a shift. I, uh, in most people's mindsets, I would I guess. Think, I think it's really interesting because um, if you listen to even what's going on out there in, in um, kind of government talk, there's still a desire out there. I mean, there was a David Cameron set up a policy back in 2015, said in this parliament we'll create three million apprentices, and we're quite a way short of that. But there's still a, a desire out there that this, when we talk about an apprentices, apprenticeship in, from a government terms, they're talking about a new apprentice. But uh, that's just not realistic looking at uh, the skill sets employers want to be developing. Mm -hmm. It can't be just used for recruitment. Absolutely, big, a firm believer, as you would imagine, mm -hmm. um, coming from 
a training provider in apprenticeship sector that I would uh, very much see, and we use apprenticeships ourselves. Um, but it's got to be there, and I would say that probably in year one of when the apprenticeship levy came in, I'd say about 70% of the apprentices we were working with were new recruits because, of course, that was the big thing. Mm. But I think as multi-academy trusts and local authorities uh, mature in the way that they're using the levy, um, you're seeing a lot more CPD opportunities. Mm. That's still an apprenticeship because they're often moving somebody on a journey. Mm. They could be um, um, an inexperienced teaching assistant. Mm. And now they're becoming, through this journey, an 18-month plan with them, they're becoming experienced, they're gaining confidence, they now know how to work with, you know, uh, maybe individual SEN Mm. children. And that's a great journey that they're going on. That's interesting. So here's a question then. Mm. uh, Who who are apprenticeships for in the main? So we described that... um, uh, they're for new new people coming into the profession, and you're right. There's a salary uh, contribution there from from the school or the employer, Absolutely. and there's also the learning that is then is contributed by the levy that the school or the employer has already paid. Mm. Um, is it for people that are um, only at say level two or level three qualifications? Is it for people that are graduates, postgraduates? Because as I understand or understood it, that apprenticeships were people that had not got degrees or you know had reached a certain level of education. Who, who can access the levy now? Well, since once again, talk about Trailblazer, that completely uh, blew apart what apprenticeships had been for the six years prior to that. So now with Trailblazer, you're now seeing, or the new apprenticeship standards, you're now seeing uh, degree and master's level apprenticeships. So they go all the way from level two all the way up to level seven. Wow. Um, and so the, the, the breadth of opportunity that's available mm-hmm. is, is great. And as you say, a thousand courses potentially um, that maybe yeah. weren't there prior to that are obviously being shaped and developed by the industry mm-hmm. uh, or industries. Um, that's going to bring about some exciting qualifications, right? I think, yeah, I think before there were some quite generic apprenticeships which weren't really fit for purpose. They were, you had to tweak them and pull them and do all sorts with them, but you're always limited because they always had a qualification at their core. Mm. Now, that might have been okay for some people, but it might not have fitted mm. a number of people that are on that course. Now, there's no qualification actually within that standard. You get to choose often. There are a few standards out there, and I'm sure we'll probably come on to it as well, which is the children, young peoples and families um, practitioner at level four. That has a qualification mandatory, but that's quite rare. The vast majority of these new standards don't have a qualification attached, which means it's a chocolate box. You can choose. And, And that means you've got so many more options out there um, for people of various experience and senior, you know, strategic members of your team can be going through training Fantastic. and um, and development. And I think that's that's wonderful. It's bringing universities into the marketplace, um, which once again, uh, somebody who's passionately... I mean, I'm very fortunate. I, I had an opportunity to go um, to uni, and I've, I've, I've experienced that. But actually, apprenticeships are now adding to the mix. So it's now not the only route way. Um, you've now got apprenticeships and... You can dip in and out. I was, went to an event, um, a parents' event at uh, a local secondary, and I think parents were still a bit apprehensive about their their children potentially going off to apprenticeship. Will that limit them? Well, not at all. You could go through a level two, then a level three, then go to university, then mm-hmm. further go on and do a master's level um, apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. So, so it's almost really the boundaries have been uh, broken in, in lots of ways. It's really brilliant. Experience. I, in, in they have been broken. I think in terms of people's perception that they've been broken. That's something that yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. continue to work on. I suppose in uh, trying to 
Well, this podcast might help bring some of this to light, I guess. It's yeah, about absolutely. people are recognising the change in what apprenticeship means from maybe the mindset of someone pre-2010 and to the mindset of someone now. And particularly, this is aimed at schools specifically, isn't it? it? Is. So we now know that local authorities, multi-academy trusts you reference, maybe some standalone academies if mm-hmm. they're a certain size with a certain payroll, are paying in to the apprenticeship levy. So... From a school's perspective then, what are the examples of how this is being used by both standalone schools and academy trusts? How is this, how, or maintains schools of course, how, how are we seeing the levy being used effectively? Yeah, well if you go onto the Institute for Apprenticeships and you click on the option to just look at education and childcare apprenticeships, you'll be given a limited option, you'll think, well there's not really much out there for me. Now if you just click on that option you'll see teaching assistance, you'll see the postgraduate teacher route, You'll see the CYPF, the Children and People Families Practitioner, a bit of a mouthful, options. Um, <clears throat> and you'll see the early years educator is on its way. But schools, of course, are, are much more complex than that, and there's a lot more support functions. Um, you've got leadership and management options. Mm. You've got school business professional, and soon there'll be school business manager options out there. Facilities, uh, obviously a huge part, especially some of your large secondaries and multi-academy trusts. Mm. You've got a lot of facilities to manage. Mm. Um, business administration. You've got your custom service front of house team. Um, so the the breadth is there. So there's the, what you're saying is there are some um, apprenticeships out there that actually would have been shaped to work for schools that actually are completely the core function of a school now when you talk about estates and, and, and business management and so on because obviously all the non-teaching staff um, that really supports and there are things out there for teaching assistants and learning support assistants that have been developed and more on the way so uh, it's exciting space for education at the moment. it is and i think the only way that if, if this is something you, that you're new to and you really want to go and explore that that's where you know having an opportunity to speak to other schools that are maybe already embarked on this mm. Um, see what's already happening out there. Have a look at local training providers um, to you. Speak to your local authority who might already have provided provider this. I know we're going to come on to topics, mm, uh, sure. on to hot, hot well, leads. Firstly, just tell us a little bit more about Train Together and tell okay. us um, how who you're working with. Well, not you have to tell us who you're working with. Don't name people. But are you working with different groups and how are you working with us? Yeah, so of course we work with Discovery, yep. which is wonderful. And uh, we work with other multi-academy trusts from that are purely secondary, um, some multi-academy trusts which are a mix of primary and secondary. Uh, we also work with local authorities as, um, and support um, those. And we do have a couple of um, single standalone um, academies, um, secondaries, so they actually generate their levy as well. But we also work slightly outside of education as well, but some kind of supporting things. We work with um, a facility and property management company. Um, So, and some other kind of, uh, if you will, sports organisations as well, who kind of have a a bit of an an eye on education as well. So um, that's our mix. But in the main, what we specialise in is education. Okay. And, and, And within that then, tell us about some of the examples of what your school partners have been doing with their levy Mm. because to to take I guess a a reasonable size multi-academy trust might have say I don't know four or five thousand pupils and is likely to have an income of somewhere in the region between 18 and 25 million depending on um, location and people characteristics and so on so I guess that generates somewhere in the region about a hundred thousand pounds of the levy that's an awful lot of taxpayers money and an awful lot of funding which um, really needs being well to be well used so how are multi-academy trusts and, and local authorities using this funding in a sort of strategic way yeah well before i can answer that one i'll also say that um as we're now approaching april 
2019, that'd be two years it's been implemented, it doesn't seem like two minutes ago, if I'm being honest. Mm. Um, that means that if you haven't already utilised the levy, that you're now at risk of uh, the contribution that you're putting in on a basis not to grow your budget. So you're effectively losing, potentially, whatever you're putting in on a monthly basis. Wow. So it's now is the time to absolutely utilise it. So you're right. Um, how do you get on top of that if you're not already there? But yeah, there's been some really great projects. Oh, it's okay to use Discovery. You're welcome to use Discovery, yeah. As, as, sort of, I know there are good ones out there also, but by all means. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the way that Discovery have used it has been really innovative because I, I think that you've used it in a range of different ways. And so I think for this podcast, it, it gives a good examples. Mm. So um, on an annual basis, you identify recruitment needs mm. uh, where you feel that a young apprentice, that you do have the mentoring capacity. Um, you do feel there is a permanent opportunity at the end of it, depending on the apprentice doing, um, doing well over the course as well. And so we've recruited uh, a number of people from really various a variety of functions, from sports, coach, through to a teaching assistant, um, um, business administrators, site but staff. in your site yeah. staff, mm. business administrators in your trust teams, mm. uh, people within your IT team. Mm. Um, and those young people, actually, uh, I think pretty much, I'd say about 80, 90% of them, I don't have the figure in front of me at the moment, mm. have succeeded and yeah. actually then stayed on within the schools, within the trust. Mm. Um, and that's all part of a, a, you know, a good, robust recruitment process between the the employer you as discovery and as a trained provider really understanding your needs mm. so you've used it to recruit where it does offer good value absolutely we can't escape that that's but it has to be done with the absolute right intention mm. that there is a real opportunity for that apprentice to succeed uh, and to gain a long term uh, we we absolutely would say don't use the apprenticeship if your pure motivation is just the financial benefit of employing apprentices because of the £3.70 per hour option. We do also recommend actually to schools have a look at what who else is, is advertising for, for apprentices out there you want to find the best it means that you might not just be looking at £3.70 per hour you've got to be competitive as well mm -hmm. um, and also think about the fact that that young person also has um, overheads. overheads themselves sure, absolutely and sure. they're not always um, young people straight out of school. They could be uh, mothers or fathers returning to work. Um, you know, they could be have a, a, a number of different backgrounds and experiences behind them. So um, that's also worth considering as well. Who do you want to attract? What What are those ideals before you choose the amount? Sure. And, and you mentioned earlier um, leadership qualifications. Mm. Um, and um, I know from our experiences that we've got a number of people that are just starting really advanced leadership qualifications, such as uh, MBA qualifications, which is fascinating. We've got people within our team that are involved in level five and six diplomas in leadership management, which I know have been really valuable processes. So, um, again, how, how have you seen... To some extent, I guess, more academy trusts taking advantage of those types of qualifications, which maybe sit away from the, the normal leadership framework qualifications like MPQMLs, mm -hmm. SLs and Hs. Have you seen schools engaging with that type of learning um, in a non-teaching capacity? Um, yeah, so I think the key thing with leadership qualifications, we've worked with you around supporting people in that first steps into first-line management. Um, so we're working with uh, experienced teaching assistants who we, you want to see really share their knowledge and to really mentor other less experienced teaching assistants. And so we put together a programme across a range of schools um, to really see them grow and develop and to enhance 
um, and to really build a, a different form of leadership within your schools, not just through that traditional teaching mm. route way, which I think that's been a really innovative program. Mm. I think supporting uh, more experienced operations mm. managers within the trust has been fascinating as well. Mm. I think we've worked with people across who have uh, responsibilities in management yeah. or um, in psychology and well-being in your IT, you know, head of uh, your um, IT, IT. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and you've seen, and they may have not had that opportunity mm. to really consider the role. They might be very experienced in IT mm. or in behaviour management, but they no, may have not before seen themselves as, how, how can I be a leader in this organisation? Mm. Um, so we've supported them really grow, um, and I think that's been fascinating to see. And we've also mentioned the MBAs for some more strategic stuff as well. So, um, like I said, universities are in the mix as well now. So they do offer a, a wide range. And we're developing programs at the moment with other trusts where we're supporting teachers who've gone through that middle leader program and are looking to go into senior leadership. Um, and absolutely, I think that the ML and the SL programs are great. Um, uh, I think what apprenticeships can also do is if you will use them as bridging tools to help make a really vocational um, program in between the ML or before the ML, in between the ML and SL and yeah, beyond. Sure, sure. So you can actually sandwich, almost the sandwich programs. Absolutely, yeah. which is purely project-based, impactful. Mm. Um, not about the qualification because if we're, teachers in the main do see the ML, SL, and the H as the as the kind of jewels. Mm. But if you can help them bridge those gaps mm. um, and create opportunity for them to get real life experience mm. then I think that that's where the apprenticeship levy can be used as well. Uh, uh, there's some good points in there also about the fact that you know the MPQ programs are incredibly valuable to our schools and um, to the individuals that, um, that take part in the programs but they're not the be all and end all there there are other great leadership learning uh, mm. there's, there's great leadership learning to take place between as in addition to those programs so um, I think you're right that's a really good practical uh, way of schools thinking about how they might use their apprenticeship levy. From an objective perspective, sure. um, um, how do you how, how do you feel schools might have been using the uh, example hundred thousand that I raised before if the levy wasn't there? Do you think that this is adding the value that schools would really want from that money, um, or do we feel as if we're sort of um, Oh, this is the wrong phrase, really, but putting a square peg in a round hole. Are we are we just taking advantage of something because we're paying for it, or is, do we think this is genuinely the right move? Are we moving in the right direction? I think that's a really good question. I think if you speak to different people at different points in this journey with the apprenticeship, you'll hear different. You'll hear a, a different point. Um, so I think those that maybe have not experienced or not explored how to use the apprenticeship levy potentially have the viewpoint that this is just something I'm having to pay out. I'd much rather be putting it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, I actually think, though, that from our clients that we support and we look at the difference we're making, um, that I really do actually think that we are making a big change. I think that often with multi-academy trusts and schools, they're busy places. And often L&D, especially for support staff, is not always, hasn't always been a priority because we're focused on doing the day-to-day. -day. We're focused on, you know, those Ofsted requirements, on making those massive enhancements and changes, um, bringing those schools out financial challenge or, um, you know, quality challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the apprenticeship levy, in some ways, you could say it's a square peg and round hole. But I actually think from speaking to our clients who are really 
like yourselves, mm. who are already grabbing hold of it, mm. I think it's actually helped bring CPD mm. for support staff, but I also think for in future for teaching staff, um, higher up the agenda. And at the end of the day, if a vast majority of your, or a significant proportion of your outgoings on a monthly annual basis is on people, then they're probably the best things that you can invest in. Sure. So I, I, I'm of the one of these statistics that we quote quite regularly, which I believe is still true, certainly was true when I read it, was that we spend as much every year on teaching assistants and employing teaching assistants and classroom support staff as we do on social housing as a sort of national bill. Wow. And one of my big uh, sort of agendas, if you like, from a teaching school perspective and from a trust perspective is investing in support staff in the same way that teacher development is, is, is invested in. Um, and, and that's something that the apprenticeship levy can really bring a lot of value to because a lot of the qualifications are appropriate for members of staff that are classed as non-teaching or as, as classroom support. So um, I think that's a, a really valuable use of the tool, isn't it? It is. I think teaching assistants um, traditionally haven't had a huge amount of investment. Um, but I think that we're much more aware of children and young people's needs and we're, we're becoming more increasingly aware and they have a massive role to play. Mm. Um, and if trusts are trying to meet those strategic aims in maths, in English, you know, those, those you know, absolutely core things, then teaching assistants, just as an example, mm. have to be planned, have to be thought about in how we're going to achieve, mm. overcome that objective. Absolutely. So I, I want to move on now to mm. how we're seeing um, the sector be innovative. Mm. So we talked already about, um, you briefly mentioned the MBA, we've already mentioned some of the leadership qualifications and so on. We talked about how the uh, the trailblazers or the new apprenticeship framework is enabling really good qualifications for staff like site, mm-hmm. site managers and, and, and estates managers um, and school business professionals. What are you expecting to see next in terms of innovation and, and new creative ways um, of, um, of using funding? You mentioned earlier, you think 40% of the way through when it comes to course creation, um, what do you think might be coming? Um, I think there's there is a wide range of, of things coming to the marketplace. I, I can probably talk about innovation in two ways. First of all, you've got new apprenticeships, but you've also got the current apprenticeships and how the new standards still, how they can be used for current staff. So I'll probably start there first of all. So we're working with a trust and some local authority schools um, to support school business managers develop accounting skills, um, which might seem well, how does that really fit in with their job role? And certainly, uh, the local authority, when when they had somebody coming forward for this programme, said, but they're not an accountant. But the vast majority of what they're now being, where they'd really like to be using their time, where the trust, where, the lo- where they would like to use their time, is around that financial management. Um, so, though they are not assistant accountants, and that's what the apprenticeship calls it, level three, an assistant accountant, um, they're finding it really beneficial because they're learning a great deal. Often they were using a system, a financial system, um, and yeah, apart from really just glossing over the actual basics, what was going on behind the scenes, so if there was an error. Um, I think one of the things uh, which jumped out at me from that from, from feedback, uh, one of the school business man- managers from the Multi-Academy Trust um, had only, I think, attended one or two of the workshops, and they were on the phone to the organization who they the software was through and the person on the other end was saying oh I think you should do this this and this and because they'd been on that training that she went actually no no I think you're wrong it's this this and this and at that point the person down the phone went no you're right so I think 
just by making those small changes, it can make such a difference to um, multi-academy trust central teams are small. They don't have the, you know, uh, they don't have the, the money to effectively be having multiple people. Mm-hmm. They're often running many, many different functions, wearing, you know, more, many, more than one hat. Mm-hmm. So I think having your, the school business managers or the estate managers, whoever it may be, being able to take on more responsibility, whether it be financial, um, makes a big difference. So that's where I think, as, as an example of being innovative, don't just look at the person's role and think sure, they have to do that. Sure. Look at what they need. Mm-hmm. Look at where they're going. Um, in terms of um, new apprenticeships, um, we've spoken to um, SEN, multi-academy trusts, um, and about their frustrations, about that um, they find it really challenging to bring on board um, teachers who have a real passion for SEN. Um, there is, as we, we, we've spoken before about the postgraduate teacher apprenticeship, it really fits a, a very small proportion of individuals. Most teaching schools, um, it doesn't really fit with their model. Um, so that is another route way. Um, and also that traditional route way for bringing on teachers, they have to go through a mainstream school. So for SEN schools, they're really struggling. So I think there's opportunity in the future that if you have a great idea like this SEN, Matt, to, to really go and develop a new apprenticeship which will really fit your needs, mm. there, there is that opportunity out there with Trailblazer. And, and maybe be something that the sex has never seen before um, and absolutely what we need to be able to support staff in those schools and maybe attract new staff in the future. Absolutely. So the new community sports and health officer um, I think offers now that is approved that's ready to go um, especially around secondary school I'm not saying it's not available to primaries but there's a need for more pastoral care mm. um, you might have some really experienced teaching assistants or sports coaches who you're recognizing especially if you're a multi-academy trust part of your kind of remit if you will is to engage with the community often most local authority primary schools do that and, and secondaries do that excellently as well um, and you might have some particular needs within your community, which you are probably crucial at meeting, bridging that gap. Um, well, if you could develop some people to actually hold qualifications in community support and health officer or um, in children, young people's families practitioner, because that's level four and there's also a level five option out there, um, you could be really meeting some of the local need um, and maybe supporting parents before those children have come into education. So I think there's options out there which could maybe support schools and trusts uh, deal with issues before they come literally into your reception. Mm. Um, And I think apprenticeships like that community sports and health officer, like the children, young people's families, practitioner, can almost act as a way of facilitating families who maybe, you know, maybe have their first children coming into school, um, maybe you're in an area of high need, high challenge. Um, once again, that could be inviting parents, guardians, other young people into your sure. school using these individuals who are highly skilled now to actually get them understanding what education is, mm. uh, what their role is, setting expectations, um, and also really giving young people the start, helping young people from a very young age get the start they need. Sure. A, a couple of questions before we, we bring this to a, a conclusion. I think, uh, f- for me, Charles, firstly, who are 
the people that lead on the delivery of professional learning. So are these credible people with a real strong track record? What are the, the big messages of the Teaching School Alliance, uh, if you like, policy and the Academy Trust policies? It's about school supporting schools and the best leaders, you know, supporting system development. Who, who's leading on the delivery of this, this taught program? So it sounds vast. Um, the amount of money that's being ploughed into this, which is great, but are we making sure that we have the very best people leading the development of, of individuals? That's a, it's a good question. I mean, if I looked at FE Week um, this morning, just so happened to be um, the, the update comes through on a Monday, and it it is frustrating to see that there are still providers out there that are operating in a way that I would say is pre two thousand and ten, really adding. Not enough value. Now, they are in the minority. I hesitate to ask because always uh, bad news travels quickly, so you always see those articles. But if you also look at the Ofsted, Ofsted are doing a huge amount of work monitoring visits on providers. We went through a monitoring visit in September. We'd only just gone through it. We got a good in January. So that was a bit of a surprise to get another Ofsted. But they're really um, upping the game, and it is all about teaching and learning. So if providers aren't... Um, demonstrating that the people that are leading that teaching and learning have the competence and are really adding value, then they are being found out pretty quickly by Ofsted. But from our point of view, the people that we have as, as, as trainers, trainer coaches, have experience in those job roles. Sure. They've, they've experienced it on the ground. Um, they've had years of experience and then they've been trained Often by us, but some of some people we've we've recruited as well, um, and developing them to be even better trainers and tutors, um, because we want people, certainly in our sector, we want people who can really empathise and understand what it's like, um, right at the cutting edge, and and that's another thing that I think providers are doing, uh, and if not, should be doing, which is ensuring that their staff are, are still remaining current by getting out there into the workplace. Um, still really eg experiencing it from a leadership point of view, from in the classroom point of view. So I think that's where the, the quality is with vocational training should be people that have already got that experience and are remaining current sure. with that experience And as I well. suppose that's where your partnerships with uh, schools and academy trusts and teaching schools, you see a lot of value because presumably there's a bit of co-facilitation, co-leading. So Absolutely. you've got people that are in, the, in schools now, knowing what they're doing, doing a great job. So. Absolutely. I think... Um, it's always interesting working with teaching schools and you know, affinity because mm. you do hear about really innovative programs. They re-inspire us, mm. and likewise, I hope that you know the work that we're doing with uh, various groups um, across the trust um, helps bring ideas or at least um, thinking, yeah. thinking around around other ideas as well. Yeah. So, final question, a quick one: Is mm. it likely? Do you think that in the future? Um, groups of schools might become themselves providers of apprenticeship programs. Is, is it likely that, um, that this sector has evolved to its point and no one's going to take? So I'm just thinking, if I'm, if we're not, I'm, if we are, or <laughs> there's a group of schools out there that it's a 30, 40, 50 school multi academy trust. You know, and you're generating say three, four, five hundred thousand pounds a year, and you're effectively outsourcing the training delivery to a third party uh, provider. Is there a school of thought for some of these multi-economy trusts or groups that say, do you know, we'd be better just to become our own provider of apprenticeships here and maybe reinvest that money into internal posts? Is that, is that Has that arrived yet? Is, is, is that looking likely? Or is it way too complicated? It's not It's not way too... Well, I say it, it, there's a lot in there. I mean, I think um, we've spoken before about working with awarding bodies mm. and 
they can be challenging. Mm. The amount of due diligence mm. that you have to go through with ESFA, through ROAP, to mm. ROTO, um, and all of that. It, there's, there's a lot behind the scenes, if you will. Mm. Um, the delivery, if you will, is that peak, of, you know, that iceberg above the water. There's a lot more below it. Mm. But it doesn't mean that um, employers can't become good providers. Um, I think recently you've seen um, large employers, not within education sector, um, who are probably generating huge, well, we know they're generating huge levy, simply go in and buy a training provider mm. um, because they recognise that that, that was, it's more efficient way it was a more efficient way of working. Yeah. Um, but there, I think there's the, probably, the challenge probably for, for multi-academy trusts uh, will be that, of course, this, this is also um, in the sphere of Ofsted. So I think they will only want to go down that pathway if they can be certain yeah. that the quality is absolutely there. Yeah. Um, and I think that risk or that perception of risk potentially would put a number of very, very large multi-academy trusts off. I'm not saying it would completely, but it's something certainly to be bear in mind. Yeah. Um, because it is an area of education, whether it be further, whether it be primary secretary, it's under high scrutiny at all points. And it's all about progress, it's all about development and further education. Mm. Um, the sector of apprenticeships is absolutely no different. Mm. Um, so I think there is opportunity. Um, I spoke, we, we work with a number of large um, levy, levy um, paying employers out of the sector and even some of those very large ones have decided not to go down that way simply because they said, well, it's not what we do. We're a... Yeah, it's not core purpose. Yeah. yeah. Which is a slight difference there, isn't it? Because, of course, schools, and particularly secondary, it is. are learning and development centred. That's that's our purpose. That's our job. So it will be interesting to see how that evolves over time, I think, uh, in the sector, particularly with so many multi-academy trusts and so many local authorities knowing they're making significant contributions. So mm. I think it would... Uh, I, think, I think I could see it happening. I think it's just a... a Big brave decision yeah. by that multi-academy trust, by that local authority to to go in with it. I, I could see it working, and I really do see that we're a better training provider because we work within the sphere of education, mm. um, because our employers really know their stuff. Mm. So we get challenged mm. uh, continually um, because challenged just by observing their teaching and learning, mm. knowing that we have to continually up our game. So I think that as a training provider in this sector, I think. Um, yeah, we feel like uh, we, we learn a great deal from teaching schools, from multi-academy trusts. Um, but I do think, though, that it would be challenging for a, for a, for a multi-academy to start from scratch. Approach with caution. Approach with caution. Yeah, yeah approach with caution. But absolutely, whatever you're doing at the moment, still utilise your levy. Yeah, of course. So let's get on to that. So okay. if we, if, uh, the audience for this uh, podcast is... Well, anyone that hasn't got a clue or it was anything like we were maybe a couple mm. of years ago, what on earth is this apprenticeship levy? Why am I paying this 0.5%, etc.? Um, and it was about, you know, removing some of the myths and correcting some of the myths that exist out there about what the levy was about and, and how to spend it. And one of the um, things we always ask our guests to do is think about some of the sort of top tips for listeners around, okay, how do we make the apprenticeship levy work what are your top tips about making it work within my school within my institution within my academy trust what what does that look like so what are your top tips for for listeners charles i think the first top tip is about you've already got a, probably a learning development strategy in place and aligning it to what's or what's out there in apprenticeship land um, really seeing whether you can be using your levy budget and 
and effectively paying you know L&D that you really desire see if you can build it in to an apprenticeship program mm. because ultimately apprenticeship programs don't have some of them a lot of them the teaching new teaching system one doesn't have a mandatory qualification it has suggested ones <coughs> but it doesn't have a mandatory which means you can put CPD in there of your choice and we're doing some really innovative stuff with trust around forest schools around SEN around core skills CPD that um, make apprenticeships really appealing um, to each school to the trust. Okay. Um, so fit it alongside your your L and D to your apprenticeships is number one. So Charles, what would you use second sitting? Uh, I definitely speak to a range of providers. I think the main reason for this is that you might have been recommended a provider, um, and they might really get that multi academy trust or that local authority. Um, but you want to make sure that they really understand you as well. Uh, like any service provider, the best relationships are those where you're working in collaboration. So speak to a number, really find out what makes them tick. That would be my second. Okay. Third tip, can I have this specifically earmarked, this tip for a maintained school? So maybe a maintained primary who, mm-hmm. as part of a local authority, is paying into the apprenticeship levy. How do I go about accessing? What would be your tip to them? got to go and speak to the local authority. You will have already, I imagine, have an email or somewhere in there or in one of your meetings somebody who you can be a point of contact for. Go and have a chat with them, understand the process. They'll probably have a list of preferred providers. Go out and speak to them. They might even be able to put a couple in front of you so they could do a lot of the legwork for you. And once again, it's that thing, go go and speak to a range of providers that they've already allocated as quality providers. Okay, great. And your fourth tip, which I believe is the most obvious tip here, is... Well, the, the obvious is don't waste that money. Um, obviously, especially within education, uh, money is being... Is very tight, um, and if you're generating 100, 200, a small primary, you might be generating six thousand pounds a year through the local authority. But nobody would ever turn that down, especially from when it comes to training and development. So yeah, just don't waste that money. Absolutely, I would um, echo that as a message. I think okay. um, this is a lot of money that is taxpayers' money, it's yeah. public money, is intended for primarily at children. It's a non-negotiable. It needs to be paid. And making the best use of that and just not wasting it is the key, isn't it? Absolutely. Just a quick one, because I think this might be worth noting for those who are thinking, right, well, okay, we've got £30,000 and mm. we've looked at three qualifications and that's going to cost more than the £30,000 in our levy. Yeah. What happens if I've got 10 staff who want something and my levy's going to run out after four staff? Can my six other staff still access a programme and, and what happens there? So, yeah, no, with the ESV, this is a really good point there, Joe, because the... If you're going to go overshoot, you can already see you're going to overshoot your levy, the ESFA will co-invest. They call it co-investment. It means that they're going to invest 90% of that overshoot, where we're leaving you with 10%. So if you're going to go over by £5,000, you're going to be contributing £500. But that might not necessarily be up front. You can negotiate with your training partner and pay that gradually over the length of the apprenticeship. So on a monthly basis, it really might not feel like anything at all. That is... Amazing, isn't it? Really. So even once you've spent your levy, course costs are at ten percent of the original price. Of at the present, qualification. At present, of course. What we're seeing at the moment as well is that the um, the ESFA are, are kind of pulling on different levers. So if they want reduction in the number of apprenticeships on this particular area, they'll reduce the funding band, which is good for the employer, but also means they're probably less trained prizes eager to deliver that sure. one because their training costs are still the same. Yeah. What they could also do is change that co-investment. But at present, the apprenticeship 
Levy offers the best training budget you could really it's look for. It's a fantastic resource, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Now, Charles, um, if people want to get in touch and find out more, where can they go? So you can uh, find uh, us at www.traintogetherltd.co.uk. Just type in Train Together in Google. You can find us that way. Um, otherwise, you can drop me an email personally. It's charles at traintogetherltd.co.uk. Um, and yeah, if you've got any questions, always happy to help. Thank you. Charles, it's been really great. And I, I really hope for listeners we've managed to um, answer some of those questions that probably you, you just want to have asked. And I'm sorry if I've not managed to... Um, uh, uh, ask the questions that you want but again you've got Charles's contact details there so we can we can make sure you get in touch after so sure. thank you so much um, for coming along today no thanks for inviting me um, no it's a pleasure um, our next podcast interestingly enough Charles will be coming back for we're going to have a podcast with a colleague from uh, Unison um, and we're going to be talking about the importance of professional development for support staff classroom mm-hmm. support staff and support staff in schools um, so look out for that one popping up uh, in the near future um, don't forget you can help us uh, improve our podcasts by emailing us at uh, media at discoveryschoolstrust.org.uk and you can leave reviews on our various uh, podcast websites, um, which I know are, are, are many now. Um, you follow us at Discovery Schools Trust on Twitter um, and of course you can visit our website discoveryschoolstrust.org.uk. You've been listening to the EduChat podcast by Discovery Schools Academy Trust and from me, James Brown, goodbye.